But I'd ask that you turn your Bibles to Psalm uh, 27 this morning. Psalm uh, 27. We're going to be there for just a couple moments, but uh, it's a wonderful place to uh, begin our uh, our time in, in God's Word this morning. And as you turn there, uh, we come to the second uh, to our last second to last week on our series that we've entitled "Exploring Ecclesiology." God's blueprint for the church. And over these last couple months, we've been investing time looking at the church. What is the church about? What is the church to be doing? Uh, uh, what uh, does church membership look like? What is uh, baptism and communion? And what does that involve in, in the Christian life? Uh, what about elders and leaders? Uh, how are they to live? How are they to guide the church? And uh, this week, uh, we're going to be talking on the subject of worship. Uh, one of the things that we do every time we gather together is is worship. And I want to talk about uh, what worship is all about. And then next week I want to talk about the mission of the church and uh, where God may be calling us in, in the days uh, and years to come. And, and so today we focus in on the subject of worship. Uh, John Calvin, the great reformer, once said, if the believer desires to properly execute any of all the disciplines that God has given him, let it be of his worship of God. What John Calvin is saying is, is, hey, if you want to do one thing well as a Christian, let it not be uh, your Bible study, let it not be prayer, let it not be um, your uh, program at church, let it not be your church attendance or, or your singing ability, that number one, while all those things equal into the sum total, let, let your worship be great. Let's start there, John Calvin is saying. Not that those other things aren't important, but let's start there. Let's worship God properly. Let's do it well. And John uh, wants us to recognize and understand that that is the greatest aspect that we have as a believer. There is no greater pursuit in life than for us to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, while we have focused our time uh, on the great and important aspects of church and its ministry, this is the one, Village Bible Church, that we have to nail. This is the one that has to become evident in our lives. Now, you would say, well, Tim, I, I do worship. And uh, why, why would I need to get teaching on worship? Well, uh, I love what Monty Wilson shares in uh, our friend John Armstrong's book, Comp uh, Compromise Church. He says the following about the ongoing status of the worship in evangelical churches. He says this, evangelical worship is becoming an oxymoron. Our songs are either belted out in the same mindless intensity with which we sing our football team's fight song, or we are crooning romantic ditties that would be more at home in an old 1930s B-movie. Irreverence has become so rampant in our worship services that one would not be shocked to hear of the deacons walking up and down the aisles yelling, Popcorn, Peanuts, Communion. For many, worship is just another event. And Monty Wilson is exactly right. And what that doesn't mean, and, and he goes on in the chapter on worship that he speaks about, isn't that he's fighting over an issue of style or an issue of preference. But what he's saying is, is that while all styles and all preferences can be included into understanding how to worship God and how to properly give God the glory that is due his name, the idea here is that Monty is bringing up is that we've become irre uh, irreverent in our response. That worship has become just like any other event, like any other thing. I want us to watch a, a quick video, and I want you, it's humorous, 
But I also want you to recognize some of the truth that comes. And the question is, what if our worship was like an NBA or NFL game? Let's go ahead and watch it. just about ready for the big show to start here in sunny steepleville and what a day it is it just doesn't get any better than this i'm bob cobb joined by my colleague taffy babbler and you're looking at beautiful aerial shots provided by airship worship now broadcasting in hd and you love to see the players getting focused getting their mind right getting in the proverbial zone And here are the starting lineups brought to you today by Stump and Sons Altars, keeping knees at ease since 1933. Dan Verbosky, pastor, the Bamford Theological Seminary. Jerry Woodwind, worship, Eastern Southwest Central School of Divinity. Frank Banter, associate assistant to the intern of the executive minister of community ministry, GED. Jerry, how is the injury? Uh, you know, it's, it's fine. There's some soreness. Uh, x-rays were negative, but I should be fine as long as I stay away from B-flat. So. Are you worried about re-injuring it? Um, you know, as long as I, I play hard and, and play at my pace, uh, I think I should be fine. Have you ever bet on attendance? What? Have you ever taken anabolic steroids? No. Have you ever lip-synced worship? <laughs> Listen, we're about to get started here. And here's the kickoff. And it's a slow play. Wow, that's big. You're the home team. You want to have a surprise or two up your sleeve. What I call mixing up ability. It sounds like the new Darlene Zek or or Zeke or Zeku. Zeesh. Is it Zeechee maybe? Uh, Darlene Zeesh. Let's go to our sideline reporter, Billy Sturpot. This uh, crowd seems a little bit lethargic, but uh, this town is known for late crowds. So maybe by halftime, they'll be a little more into it. It looks like Johnny Weems is headed for an early exit. Chiefs fan. They play at 11. Oh, my. Look at this. A huge error. Enormous. You're the media team. You're leading the league in fumbles. You can't let this happen. You can't let this happen. Terrible timing, especially on a new song. Look at this crowd. It's bedlam. Pandemonious. Look at Maggie Jensen, veteran, overloud singer. She hasn't missed a word. What a performance. One of the greats, Bob. One of the greats. What if our worship was like an NBA basketball game? You know, there's a lot of truth in that, and, and I was laughing pretty hard when I first, when I first saw that. But after thinking about uh, our American culture, how much of our American culture drives our worship? How much of who we are as people drive something that God has given us parameters to live out? You see, we need to have reformation when it comes to our worship because of things like we've just seen. We need to be shaken from our seats when it comes to our understanding of what God desires for worship. I once watched a couple of years ago a, a, a TV show. I never saw it again, but was able to watch it at one time. And I thought it was uh, kind of a neat idea, but then I learned that it didn't last very long. So usually my great ideas uh, don't seem to make into the mainstream. Uh, but the story was about um, a, a show where a celebrity would get all kinds of letters from their fans. And they would give reasons on why they want to uh, meet their favorite celebrity or star or athlete. And they would list reasons and the things that they would do, the lengths they would go 
to accomplish or to please um, their uh, celebrity that they love so much, the star that they want to meet. And the celebrity would then go and make a decision uh, on who was going to be their greatest fan. And in doing so, they would be flown to wherever the celebrity or athlete was at, and they'd be given opportunities to, uh, whether it was to play the sport that the athlete was a part of or be a part of the show that the celebrity was a part of. And I began to think about that. And I asked myself the question because John chapter 4 tells us that God is seeking worshipers. And what would your letter be to God? What would your letter say on why God should choose you as one of his worshipers? The scripture says that he seeks those who will worship him. Uh, The question is, are we worshiping like God would desire of us? As God would read our letter or watch our lives or, or, or see our worship, would he say, yes, that person loves me. That person is one of my greatest fans. That person is one of my greatest uh, lovers of who I am and what I'm all about. You see, uh, sadly, if we were to really think about it, uh, our worship probably wouldn't say very much. It would say what we do on Sunday uh, from 8 o'clock till, uh, you know, 11 o'clock. It's a part of the schedule, uh, not something that should transform our lives. And so we need reformation this morning. And I love what uh, the Scriptures tell us about it. Notice what Psalm 27 uh, tells us this morning. In Psalm 27, verse 4, this is David, because I believe David is the man after God's own heart, as the Lord said that he was. And this is what he says, if you will, this is his letter uh, to the Lord, speaking on the subject of worship. One thing I ask of the Lord That is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. To gaze upon the beauty and to seek Him in the temple. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that we would live out the psalm this morning. That as we explore with the time we have left, this understanding of worship. Lord, worship is a sacred cow. It's a sacred cow not because it's worship to you, but because we have created a sacredness of our preferences and our desires and what we assume to be worship to you. And Lord, I pray that that would all be set aside. That we would desire first and foremost uh, to glorify you. And that we wouldn't worry about the things of this world and, and the things of our lives that, that crowd in our times of worship. But that we would today, as we hear your word being spoken, that we would open our eyes and ears and our hearts and our lives to what you have to share with us about worshiping you. You say that you desire those who will worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, I pray that that would be a reality today as we leave this place. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Well, the first thing I want to look at in our outline this morning is what is the definition of worship? What is the definition of worship? What does worship mean? Well, worship is a word that comes uh, all the way back from uh, around the year 1300. It's an old uh, term that literally means giving worth to something. The idea of showing worth to a particular thing or a person. Webster defines worship as the following. The reverent love and devotion accorded a deity 
an idol or a sacred object, as well as the ceremonies, prayers, or other religious forms by which this love is expressed. I like that uh, for two reasons. I don't like all of that definition, but I like the idea that he defines it as the reverent love and devotion. That word reverent is important because this isn't just a love for, for pizza or a sports team. This is a reverent love. This is a sacred love and devotion. And also I like uh, in this definition the idea that worship is not just love and devotion, but it involves the ceremonies and prayers and forms by which that love or, or a reverent emotion is seen uh, in the world around us. The next definition I want us to look at is a definition by A.W. Pink. And A.W. Pink says this on worship, a redeemed heart, worship is the redeemed heart occupied with God, expressing itself in adoration, and thanksgiving. The thing I love about that uh, definition there is the idea that only the redeemed, it says a redeemed heart, not everybody can worship. Not everybody can worship God. Sinners cannot worship God. You must be one who has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ before you will ever be able to give worship to God. And A.W. Pink nails it. He says it must be a redeemed heart. The other thing I like about it is one that is occupied with God. One that is saying, above all things, I want to worship God. And before my work, before my family, before uh, anything else comes, any priority comes in life, I want to be occupied with the worship of God. The next definition that I want to share with you comes from a man by the name of William Temple. And this is what he says. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, some years ago. And he says, For to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Now, this one's a little more wordy than the other two definitions, but the reason why I like this one is the idea here is that as it is our response to who God is, that we would be quickened in our conscience to the holiness of God, that we would recognize how set apart God is from us, that we would, in our worship, feed on the Word of God, the truth of what God's Scriptures have to say to us, that it would begin to purge out anything in our imagination because of the beauty of God, how glorious and how awesome God is. And it would then lead us uh, to open our hearts to the love of God and then to send us out to do works of ministry. Why? Because we worship and are devoted uh, to the will of God. The final one that I want us to look at on this definition uh, is uh, one that comes from, uh, let's see here, uh, J.I. Packer. I was going to say A.W. Tozer. I knew it was two letters in there. J.I. Packer says this, and this is probably what I would say is probably the strongest definition of worship. Biblical worship is the due response of rational creatures to the self-revelation of their creator. It is an honoring and glorifying of God by gratefully offering back to him all the good gifts and all the knowledge of his greatness and graciousness that he has given. It involves praising him for what he is, thanking him for what he has done, desiring him to get himself more glory by further acts of mercy, judgment, and power, and trusting him with our concern for our own and others' future well-being. Now notice what he says here. It is the idea of giving back. 
Worship is our response to giving back to what God has done. This isn't something that we have to concoct an idea or a thought on why we should worship. Because we have life, because we have breath, because you and I have been saved from our sins, we have every reason, because every good and perfect gift comes from above, every reason to give back to God. How? God says, I don't want uh, your, uh, your money. I don't want uh, any of your other stuff that you have. I've got everything I need. What I desire is your worship. I want you to glorify me. Well, what does it involve? He says it involves him for praying and praising him for who he is. Do we praise our God for who he is? Do we recognize who he is? Uh, I'm teaching right now on Sunday nights, the Apostles' Creed. And, and within that uh, first phrase, we haven't gotten very far. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and we're just getting to maker of heaven and earth. And the reason why is how can we say we believe in something unless we know who this Lord God Almighty really is? Our worship must be an educated understanding of who God is. Once we understand that, then it's praising Him and thanking Him for what He's done. What has God done for us? And rewinding the Scriptures and understanding what Christ has done for us as sinners and what He is going to continue to do. And it's praising God and saying, God, we know who you are. We know what you've done. And now we worship and adore you for what you are going to do. Some definitions of worship. Are there more? Absolutely. And we could spend the whole morning looking at different definitions of what is about, uh, what is about worship, how it is to be done. But these give you a rough idea of what worship is to look like. Now understand this. I want you to write this down. Here's my definition of worship, if you will. Taking everything that they've had there, worship is never about you. It's all about God. Write that somewhere. Because I think that's where we, and that's where Monty Wilson in his quote to us, uh, struggles. He says it's about us. It's about our entertainments. It's about uh, what we desire and what we want. But worship is never about you or me. It's always about God. It's always about Him. So then the question comes up, once we have a proper definition about worship, the question is then what keeps us from worship? And then we have to look at the detours. What, what detours us from worship? What keeps us from worshiping? Now there's no question that every child of God that is sitting here today desires to give God worship. If I was to ask any of you who are children of God, if I was to say, do you long for God to be worshipped? I would think that anybody who truly understands their salvation would raise their hand and say, yes, God should be worshipped. But the question is, why is it that we don't find ourselves doing it with great effectiveness? Why? What is it that keeps us from accomplishing this? The problem is we get detoured. We get, uh, our, our response is altered. We have a desire to ascribe the glory that's due his name, but somewhere between that desire and the execution of that worship, we get lost. What are the things that keep us from it? The first one is, I believe, is preoccupation. Write that down. Uh, before we get to presumption, I, I may not have uh, preoccupation in there, so uh, I know I added one of them. Preoccupation, write that and give me an extra line in there in your outline. What's, what's preoccupation? The idea of preoccupation is this. We are a distracted people. 
We come in on Sunday mornings. I'm going to devote most of my time talking on worship on the Sunday morning experience because we're in a study of the church and the church is called to worship. And so we're going to deal with the church aspect, this Sunday morning aspect of worship. And so what happens? We come in on Sunday morning and we've not prepared ourselves. We, we are distracted. Maybe we've come in because of a bad week and we're rewinding some of the bad things that have gone on in our week. Maybe we've had a great week and looking forward to the week that is, <clears throat> excuse me, to come. Uh, maybe it's that we uh, ha- had a lot of uh, things that we have to do and uh, we just want church to get done, worship to be over with so I can get home, kickoff is at noon. Uh, hey, I've got to get Junior here and, and young Sally there and we work through our events of our day trying to get through uh, the things of the day and so worship becomes a place in our calendar. Maybe it's because the kids are difficult. Maybe you're so preoccupied with all the issues and the the hurtful things that were said on the way to church. Maybe you're preoccupied because you're tired, because you spent too much time out late on Saturday night with your friends or in your activities that you come here and you're so preoccupied because of lack of sleep that you never come to a place of worship. Maybe the service distracts you. Maybe there are things during our worship time uh, that distract you. Kids getting up, people getting up, uh, you know, uh, all those types of things. Some of us will say we have ADD and, uh, and that begins to distract us. Some of us ask, will the Bears win? Some of us are thinking through what our fantasy football uh, thoughts are and uh, who might do well on our team. Some of us are listening to the message and thinking about what someone else thinks about the message. I wonder if so-and-so is listening because their idea or thoughts on worship uh, are really messed up. They could really do well. I could go on forever on how we can be preoccupied with worship. And, and we could go on and we could talk in any one of those things. Anything that takes us away from seeing the importance of what we're doing today is a tragedy. I was thinking last night, uh, some years ago, uh, 1997, I was standing here and uh, a bride came through uh, the doors. It was Amanda. Now, I remember I was standing here with some of my friends and I was waiting for my bride to come and, and think with me for a moment that the moment that she started walking down the aisle, I just came and, you know, who cares about her? How you doing, Danielle? Good to see you. I'm glad you were able to make it. Hey, how are you? You like the shirt. Jared, good to have you here this morning. Roger, how are things going? And you guys are all pointing saying, wait, what about the bride? Shouldn't my eyes and my focus be on the bride? Let me tell you something. When we become preoccupied with worship, it's just like the groom who sees the bride coming through the doors and is more focused in on the other things than the important thing. My friends, if we are preoccupied in our worship, then we miss everything. We miss everything. We cannot worship if our mind is on other things. The next thing that I have written down, uh, Craig, throw it up there because I think my notes are off. Presumption. This year, presumption. The idea here is maybe we're not preoccupied when it comes to worship. But the idea here is if I worship God, if I give God an hour and a half of my Sunday morning, then what will God give to me? What is he going to give to me? If I give him of my time, then I would expect that God is going to give me something in return. Now you say, well, Tim, who would think that? There are a lot of people that think that. There are a lot of people who think that if they give God some worship, give him a little props, you know, kind of raise him up a little bit, that in the day of trouble that you have, that God's going to meet you and God's going to say, well, you have been coming to worship and you have been speaking nice things about me. And because of that, 
I'm going to be nice to you. I'm going to do a lot of nice things for you. That's a presumption that hinders us from truly understanding worship. The next one on there, go ahead and throw that up there, is the issue of pride. The book of James tells us that God opposes the proud. And there are some here today who say, why even bother to worship? Why sing? It seems kind of odd that that God would want us to sing praises about Him. And then some of us think, well, (laughs) you know, what, what has God done for me lately anyway? I'm the one that's raising up the money. I'm the one that's taking care of myself. I haven't really sensed that God's been there. You know, I'm looking for a job. And where's God been at that? I've been on my own. I'm going to work things on my own. And so when you come to worship, it's just a, a an activity of futility because you, you have no desire to praise Him for anything because you think you are the all in all. You think that you're the one that holds life together. You're the one that is moving uh, yourself in the right direction. And so pride keeps us from that. There's no thank you to God. And there's no gratitude that says, God, without you I would be nothing. The next one, uh, preferences. The idea of preferences. Uh, the service is too long. The sermon is too short. I know some of you have to say that. The music is too loud. The music is too slow. The musicians aren't flashy enough. The musicians are too flamboyant. The preacher is boring. The seats are too hard or too soft. We stand too long. We sit too much. The communion wafer isn't good. That guy prays too long. That guy doesn't pray long enough. Our services are too early. They finish too late. The Scriptures make it clear that of all those things, All the preferences, and we could come up with thousands of preferences because each of us have individual desires and likes that Scripture is... I'm sorry, Scripture says that worship is never about preferences. And there are some that are sitting here today who will be thinking, instead of worshiping God, why did they do this? Why was that done? Why did they invest so much time in regards to that? And it's preferences. And preferences are okay. There's nothing wrong with us having preferences. God gave them to us. I love certain types of food. And I shouldn't get mad that I like certain types of food and others don't like it. I should be thankful that God has given me the ability to taste. And not to taste like everybody else, but to have an individual desire and taste for food that is different than anybody else's. And we should be that way in worship. What a wonderful thing that we don't just worship all the same way. Think about if we all just worshipped your way. If you were to worship my way, your heads would be blaring a little bit because I like music a little louder and uh, I like uh, music to be uh, more involved so our heartbeat would be going a little more and be a little air guitar going on every once in a while just giving God glory. And you would get bored with that. Some of you would just be plain offended by that. But I'm glad that worship can be done in many ways. It's not about preferences. It is never about preferences. And yet in our world today, churches dedicate themselves to the preferences on worship. Instead of trying to say, what does God say on this subject? They go to the preferences of mankind. I want to give you just a couple principles. This last fall, uh, I gave the uh, the, uh, worship team 10 principles that involve both biblical and practical aspects of corporate worship. And they were given that to read through and to understand kind of the philosophy of worship. And I want to give you just a couple of the the thoughts that I have uh, and look through as we've studied scripture. I want you to write these somewhere in your outline. Number one, the aim that we have as a worship ministry at VBC 
we aim for a higher standard in regards to all facets of our service. The idea here is we long for excellence. Now, when I say excellence, I want us to be very careful because excellence doesn't mean that we hit every note just perfectly and that we sing every song in the right beat or we sound great. But excellence being, if this is our gift back to God, then we want to make sure it's the best that we can give him no matter what. Now, the Bible says we're to make a joyful noise. And some of us, because our hearts are right, we can sing pathetic tunes of music. And God says it's glorious because your heart's right. So this isn't about hitting all the right notes and and, and singing just beautifully. The idea here is that we would do all things remembering that this is our gift to God. This isn't my gift to one of you. This is my gift to God. And so I long for excellence in the pulpit. Why? Not so that everybody can come and say, wow, Tim, you're a great preacher. But because God is the one that's listening, I want it to be excellent for him. Number two, we aim to center our times of worship on biblically-based practices. Biblically-based practices. What does that mean? What that means is our worship services are going to consist of the following practices from Scripture. Number one, we're going to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're going to greet one another and interact with one another in fellowship. We're going to have prayers. We're going to have public Scripture reading. We're going to have the preaching of the Word. We're going to have testimonies of ministry. We're going to see ordinances like baptism and communion. We're going to have benedictions. Now you'd say, Tim, that seems monotonous. Isn't there a way that we can kind of spice things up a bit? And I've been to some churches that do that, that say, you know, we're not going to do those things. That's 2,000 years of, of boring blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something. When it comes to worship, I don't care what you do after you leave this place. But when it comes to this worship service, we're going to do what God's word says. When it says we're going to preach, we're going to preach. When it says we're going to sing, we're going to sing. When it says that we're going to pray, we're going to pray. We want to make sure that we follow God's outline of the worship service, not our own. Number three, we aim to incorporate all genres of music. There is, please hear me. And I know I'm probably stepping on some toes and that's why I wore my, uh, my better shoes. I understand that this is a, a tough subject, but we honor all genres of music. You saw that today. No one will ever come up and say, hey, I want to sing uh, this classical tune or I want to sing uh, this bluegrass song or I want to sing. Uh, we had uh, even a young man that said, I'd like to rap sometime. And the elders worked through that and said, oh boy, I, uh, rap. I don't know about rap. But then we got done and said, well, let's show us the lyrics. And the lyrics look good. The lyrics look real good. And here's a young man saying, this is my gift to the Lord. Hear me, there is no genre of music if the lyrical content is to praising God and pointing to God that I know of that is off limits. You see, that's the problem. We, we, we say that there's only certain uh, music that can be used. One, one time back in history, the organ was viewed as a secular instrument. How can an instrument be secular? It's a tool. It's an instrument. And yet we know that then the organ ha- had a predominant place even to this day in church worship. All preferences need to be set aside. And we need to understand that all genres of music, if they are pointing back to God and are biblically and theologically um, true in their lyrical form, 
that all genres of music are okay. And so when you come to Marianne or anybody on the worship team and say, I'd like to sing, and, and here's what I'd like to sing, you won't hear us say, well, you know, we're not a bluegrass group. We just don't do that. We're all top 40 here. That's all we play. Top 40. We have instrumentals. We have music with words. We try to show you all styles of music. Why? Because the Bible says, let us sing unto the Lord a new song. There's a lot of styles. There's a lot of new songs that can be sung. The next thing that we need to do is uh, we aim for lyrical excellence. I want to make this clear uh, as we look at the words, and we're not perfect at this. There are some songs that as we continue to sing them and and as we work through them that we don't always... um, Hit it right on. But I will tell you there are times, and I know some have come up and said, hey, I, we don't sing that song like I hear it on the radio. Well, there's a reason. We many times change the words to praise songs. We change them. Because uh, there's every once in a while because uh, an author wants to rhyme or, or do something that, that a song isn't just right. And we feel that it's, it's still a worthwhile song. We'll change the words to shore up some of its lyrical understanding. There are songs we don't sing. As great as they are, as wonderful as they may sound, uh, we don't sing them unless the lyrics are biblically and theologically correct. That is our desire. That is our aim. And finally, we will aim for our worship to be God-centered. Understand this. This is not a performance. This is not a going to theater to watch a group of people perform before you. And I want to challenge you with a couple thoughts this morning. Be very careful. Be very careful that because we are in a, if you will, a spectator thought environment, i.e., I'm performing, you are the spectator, um, that you be careful in your response when it comes to giving God the glory. One thing I always get nervous about is why do we as a congregation clap? What is the reason? When was the last time you went out into the nursery, and I don't want you to do this today because I don't want the nursery people to hear the tape and then just get mad at you, but when did you walk to the nursery to pick up your babies and just say, you're good? Or the Sunday school class. You get done. Can we just give Stan Free a hand? Wow. He really brought it today. But here we do. Why? There's nowhere in the Bible. It says, yes, clap the hands. I don't think it's meaning clap for the people that are performing. But I want us to understand, be very careful. I'm not saying don't do it. I don't want every time anybody's going to clap. Keep clapping. But I want you to be challenged with the thought. Are you clapping because you appreciated the goodness of what was done, the the um, lovely sounds that came, the voice that was used? Uh, or are you clapping that what was articulated is glorifying to God and you yell an amen? See, there's a difference between amen and clapping. Clapping says, I respond to you performer many times. Amen says... <laughs> I agree. What you said, I agree with. Should be a lot more amens than clapping. One thing that I really struggle with, I don't like seeing here, and I'm just speaking off the cuff, I hate standing ovations. You want to get me upset about church? You start standing up for people. The only person that should get a standing ovation in this place is who? God. I don't care how great the performer is up here. God is the only one. And so if you're going to stand up and praise somebody for something, you stand up and say, praise God. He's the one that deserves all of it. Now I'm off my soapbox. I didn't even see it there, but it's there. Be careful that we don't fall prey to our preferences of worship. 
The next thing that comes up, and I, I, I don't have this written down, I don't believe, so throw it up there. It's not that one. So let me speak on one more very quickly. The issue of punctuality. That's why I didn't put it in there. I didn't want you guys to leave. Punctuality. How can we worship if we're not here? How can we be a part of the time? We have an hour and a half, and I'm running out of time as it is. How can we even worship when we're not here? Now, please understand me. I understand what it's like to have three children in the house. I understand what it's like to drag them half asleep into car seats. I recognize that. That's why my family goes to the second service. And I'm not saying, and this is what happens, anytime I talk on the issue of time, what happens is, is usually when people walk out and I'm standing at the back door, Tim, wow, you know, wonderful, good to see you, things are going well. When I talk on time, you... we, we promise that you'll get the one that's real bold, we promise, never again, never again. It's his fault. Pray for him. I'm not asking you to do that. Just like with the preferences, check your heart. Check your heart. How important is it that you're here? I know my son is on time every day at school. I know that uh, we're at work on time. I know if we had tickets to the Bears game today, just as you saw, there would be tailgating in the parking lot. Why? Because it's important to us. How important is worship? The final detour is that of personal conflict. Matthew 5 verses uh, 23 and 24 says that if we're going to go worship and we are reminded that our brother and, and us have a problem, conflict between us, we are to leave our gift at the altar and go make right. You cannot have fellowship with God, First John says, if you do not have fellowship with your brother or sister in Christ. And so we need to make sure that if there's any personal conflict, that we deal with it at the door before we come and worship. So we understand the detours. Now the question is, what involves, what is involved with the dedication? What is required of me? What is required of me? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. If we want to understand what it means to be able to pray as, as David did, one thing I ask of the Lord, one thing will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days and to gaze upon his beauty. And to see him in his temple. The question is, how do we do that? How do we do that well when there's all kinds of detours in our life, all the things in this world that will tell us because the devil sees what we're trying to do. The, the, the devil sees that we're trying to worship and he knows what we're going to do. And that's why Sunday mornings can be the most difficult times uh, to get prepared for worship because we're in a battle. And this is what the book of Hebrews tells us. Starting in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, there's your reasons. Because you and I have confidence to go to God, the most holy place, because Jesus has died on the cross for our sins, the blood of Christ, because we have been opened up into a new and living covenant, we have a relationship with God, even though we were sinners, enemies of God, God loved us, sent his son Jesus to die for us, and because of that death on the cross, now we have a reason to worship. And you say, Tim, I don't have a job. The kids are not living the way they should. We don't have this. We don't have that. Why should I worship? Because you have salvation. Because Jesus Christ died and gave you uh, an avenue to God himself. 
then what should our response be? Notice what the text says in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. The first thing that we need to understand is sincerity. We must worship God with sincerity. The idea here is a true heart, a dependable heart, a genuine heart. The thought here is that we are genuinely seeking after God. Is that your response? When you come and wake up on Sunday mornings, do you say, praise God, it is my opportunity to go and be with other believers to worship and praise God because of all that God has done. I'm looking forward to it. I desire it. I want it. It is something that I'm not apathetic about. It's something that I'm not going to be preoccupied with other things. It is what the psalmist says. One thing I ask. One thing will I seek. What is that? To worship God. Is that your uh, idea when it comes to worship? That with that kind of sincerity, you long to worship Him for what He's done. The next thing is fidelity. Notice what it talks about our worship being needing to be faithful and true to something. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. The idea here is that we are convinced of what we believe. We're convinced, and so as being convinced that God has made a way that we are now confident to enter into the most holy place because Jesus Christ has died for our sins, because of that confidence, because of that access, we trust Him, we are convinced of it, and now we worship Him. Because we see what we've been a part of as being true, as being real, as being reliable. Now we go to God and with gratitude, not questions in our heart, but total allegiance saying, yes, with full assurance of faith, I worship you, God, because you are worthy of my praise. We have to trust him and worship him in full assurance. Next, humility. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for, I'm sorry, I moved too far here. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, verse 22, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. The idea when we come to worship, Isaiah chapter 6 starts out, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and the, uh, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he says he sees angels, cherubim and seraphim with wings, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. And what does he say? Oh boy, I see the holiness of God and I see how sinful I am. Worship should always lead us to understand our sin. This should be a time where we see our sin and we begin to ask the question, why did I do that? And during a worship service, as we're singing songs, we should be stopping and and confessing sin. Lord, I, I haven't made you my all in all. Lord, I haven't said that you are worthy of of my praise throughout the week. Lord, I haven't said no to sin and worldly lust and haven't pursued you as the greatest thing in the world. Lord, I haven't thought your grace is as amazing as I sing. And so just don't find yourself singing songs for the sake of singing the notes and the words, but understand that those words and the words that are even being shared today are to bring us as we worship God and say, God, you're so awesome. You're so great. The question and the thought that should be coming up, and and I do this all the time, and as I write things down, can I say that in true ethics and integrity? Can I say that, that that has been my desire and my want? We should be able to have moments where, where as we're singing songs, we just stop and say, that hasn't been true of me. I haven't done that. How can I use my words 
The Bible says that God looked down at his people and he said, their mouths sing praises to me, but their hearts are far from me. Could God say that of you this morning? You're singing these words, but you really don't mean them because your heart is far from what you're singing. Humility, it should bring us. We need to understand we're all a bunch of saved failures before God. 23b, it says that we be washed. He cleanses us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This idea here is purity. We should pursue purity because of what we sing, because we see God high and lifted up, that we would say, I want to be like Him. A little boy, as a little boy, we used to sing a song from the Salty and the Singing Song, Salty the Singing Songbook. I want to be, Lord, just like you and all the good things that you do. And the idea there is that we as a people, as we worship, it should bring us to a place to be set apart, to be holy. God says, you need to be holy just as I am holy. How do we learn that? As we worship, as we look at God, the greatest, the most wonderful uh, person in all of the universe, we look to Him, perfection, we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Why? Because we want to be like Him. The final thing that I want you to write down is the issue of unity. What is required of us? Unity. Notice what the text says every time. Let us, let us, let us, let us. Time in and time out. This idea of worship is let us do this together. Let us do that together. The text continues to go on and say, let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up forsaking the assembly of together as some are in the habit of doing. But continue all the more until we see the day approaching. The idea here of this issue of unity is that we do it together. Worship binds our hearts together. Worship reminds us of the hope that we have. Worship spurs us on to love one another and to show the good that God has declared for us to do for brothers and sisters in Christ. And love is to hold us accountable when we find ourselves wandering from the truth. It needs to be involved with unity. These are the things that must be required if we long to worship God in spirit and in truth. Next we see the duration. And I know that what a, what a prime time to talk about duration. When and how is worship to be done? I want to quickly just address these things. Psalm 34 for a moment. Psalm 34. Turn there for just a moment. Psalm 34. Another great passage of Scripture starts out. And this is what it says in verses 1, 2, and 3. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. There are three or four things that need to be addressed when it comes to the duration or the, the response of, of worshiping. Number one, it must be done in a willing way. It needs to be done willingly. It must be done willingly. Notice what he says, I will. He doesn't say I must or I have to or someone told me to. Worship is right uh, when it is done not out of habit or the harboring uh, from others, but it comes from the overflow of the heart that we come and we say, I want to worship. I want to adore. I want to sing praises. Why? Because that's what God has called me to. 
because I'm responding out of the love that he has. Number two, it must be done continually. It can't just be done on Sundays. It can't be done just in the morning or the evening. It can't be done on the weekdays or just Sunday. It can't be just done at church and not at home. It can't be just done when things are good or you're happy. It's done when we're in plenty. It's done when we're in want. It's done when we're with believers. It's done when we're with uh, unbelievers. It's continually done. Notice, I will praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord at all times. It's something we continually do. Next is to be personal. It should be done personally. Verse 2, my soul he says, will boast in the Lord. The idea here is the very essence of who he is. That the psalmist here is consumed with the idea of worshiping God. Are you consumed with the need to worship God, to praise God? The psalmist was, and that's why he wrote over 150 psalms. He sits there and he says, I'm consumed by this. My soul it desires it. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Can you say that this morning when it comes to your worship? It should be done uh, corporately. Worship should be contagious. Look at what he says. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The idea here is an invitation in verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Do you have a, a, a contagious response when it comes to worship? Well, finally, we see what's the destination? What is our worship to accomplish? There are four things I want to quickly address. Number one, if we are worshiping in spirit and in truth, the first thing that will happen is God is glorified. What would you say if you got to heaven? And when you got to heaven, Jesus said, you why did you spend all that time at, at Village Bible? All those hours. Every Sunday you were there. Your heart wasn't there. Your mind wasn't there. Your body was there. I saw it. But you didn't glorify me. Let me tell you something. If your desire is not to glorify God in this hour and a half of worship that we do, then you're wasting your time. This doesn't gain you anything from a human standpoint. From a temporal standpoint, it may make you feel good, but that's not what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to worship God. The Psalm uh, 50, uh, verse 23 says that when we worship God, we honor Him. Leviticus 10.3 says that God is honored when we draw near to Him. When we worship God, we are telling the world that God is greater than anything else in this world. And He's worthy of our praise and we're happy to give it to Him. Next, we are purified. God is glorified, we are purified. Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. When we worship God, we've addressed this already. We're purified. We see God in His holiness and we are drawn to that purity, to that holiness and we pursue Him with all our hearts. And we say, I want to be like Him. I want to do as He does. I don't want to live the way my body tells me to or the way that my mouth leads me to or the way my mind leads me to. I want to lead my life as God would lead me. It should purify us as, as we learn and understand who God is. The church is edified. As we worship together, as Acts 2, 42 through 47 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. They gathered together in the temple courts. They were praising God. And what does it say? The Lord added to their number daily 
the church was being changed. It was being made powerful. Not because people were saying, wow, the worship was great there, but because people were going and leaving their times of worship and reaching out to their loved ones and their friends and praising God in front of them. And people say, why are you doing that? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. And because of that, they would bring their friends and their neighbors to see it. Finally, as I've just shared, the lost are evangelized. 1 Corinthians 14 says this. 1 Corinthians 14, 23 through 25 reminds us that even when an unbeliever comes into our midst and sees us worshiping, that it's a step of evangelism. It says this in verses 23 through 25. So if the whole church comes together and everyone uh, is speaking and uh, in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say you're all out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, will he be convinced that he is a sinner and will be judged by all? And the secret hearts of of him will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. If an unbeliever was to walk into this place, and I'm sure there's some here today, can they say of our worship, God is really among us? He's really among us. My friends, we're all at different places when it comes to worship. The question is, is it about you or is it about God? Is God being glorified? Are you being purified? Is our church being edified? And are we reaching the lost world because of our worship? It doesn't just involve our singing, it involves all of us. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 uh, tells us the following. It says this as I close. Therefore, I urge you, brothers in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for all that it teaches us and all that we have learned as a result of it. Lord, I pray that we would leave this place as worshipers, Not uh, those that have just heard a talk or those who have watched a show, but those who have been transformed, who have gazed upon the beauty of the Lord and who have sought Him in the temple and now want to pursue Him. That whether we eat or drink, we would do all things of the glory of God. Lord, let us live lives of worship so that the world will see that we're different, that our brothers brothers and sisters in Christ will be encouraged and that we uh, will glorify you in all that we say and do. So Lord, lead us out. We know that everything in this world will try to preoccupy our minds and distract us from the things that we need to focus on. But Lord, let us put our mind on you. Let us set our minds on the things above, not on the earthly things, so that you be glorified in your church and in this world for all ages to come. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Go and worship and live lives of worship as we leave this place today. Thank you.